Why don't we stand together and worship the Lord together this morning? And by one comfort, both in life and death, is that I am not my own. And I was born with blood and and I confess I belong to you alone. The Father's good decree, Jesus, you delivered me by your Good to see you all this morning. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. Good to have you all with us this Mother's Day. So this is indeed a sweet time for us to be able to recognize and to celebrate all the work that moms do on a regular basis. And so there is a richness to something like this to have in our culture to be able to say that uh, being a mom is important. That work is important to the work that God has given us to do. And at times, uh, we're able to look at this and there is a joy to it. There is a sorrow to it at times to think of the difficulties, the pains, the w- when things don't go um, as we hope and long for. But there is ultimately something that we recognize that God has given to us that is good. And so we do celebrate that 
um, being a mom is valuable, it's important, and it is good. So we do like to create a little time just within our service every Sunday just to be able to say hello to one another. This is part of being a member of the church, to be able to say we have not seen the saints for an entire week, and we gather and we worship with one another. So do take a moment right now just to say hello to uh, those around you, someone you haven't seen in a while. I believe in practice. All right, why don't we find our seats? As Paul said earlier, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in here. And this morning for our call to worship, we're gonna do a responsive reading from Psalm chapter 105. 
Psalm chapter 105, verses 1 through 4. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. The mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be
Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, and Jesus our Savior. and our defender suffered and crucified forgiveness is in you descended into darkness you rose in glorious light forever seated seated. Well, even as we gather for worship this morning, uh, there is much to celebrate about who our God is, and we're thankful for who He is. We are able to worship Him as our God and King, and yet even as we recognize God is King, He is good, He is perfect, uh, one of the things that coming before God does upon our souls is it reveals uh, the ways in which we've gone wayward. It reveals our sin. It reveals uh, our own selfishness. And God doesn't leave us there, but He invites us to bring these things before Him to be dealt with. 
And we do this individually, but we also do this as a church, being shaped and formed into the people of God, as the church of God, as Christ's bride being made pure and holy. And so there is a work that we are called to do here. Um, And oftentimes, uh, we will look at our sin, some things that uh, are not a big deal in culture, things that are justified, things that are looked at and said, what's the problem? It's not that big a deal. Uh, And we look at those and we can have a decision before us. Are they indeed out of line with who God is and who God has created to be, or are they fine? And so we do have to come before Scripture and let the Holy Spirit work and reveal these things to us and look at the words of Scripture and confess our sins. So let's do confess our sins together this morning as we read Ephesians chapter 5. And if you're willing and able, would you respond in the bolden sections in these verses? The Apostle Paul said this, But sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord." Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try not to discern what is pleasing, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Indeed, there is a lot to hear here. There is a lot to think about. And these are things that we want to allow to settle into our hearts, to say, Lord, reveal these things to me. So let's do take a moment this morning and just pray. Bring our confessions before God. Father, we come before you humbled as we read your word, recognizing that oftentimes our hearts are deceived. Our hearts are drawn to things that are comfortable for us, things that make life easy for us, things that are fun. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see the areas of our hearts that are out of line with your word. Help us to look to the things that are good and right and true, and recognize the things that are not, that are sinful, that are broken, that are in line with things that are not the way we are created to live. So, Lord, we pray that we would be able to enjoy 
the good gifts You have given us, to reject the things of our flesh, to reject the things of the world, and to be able to do this with great joy and a great burden lifted. Lord, we thank You that as we turn to You, we do have great confidence that You hear our prayers, that You give us peace. There is no fear of condemnation as we turn our sin over to You and ask for freedom and forgiveness from these things. We have great hope and joy. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we do have great joy indeed that as we bring confessions before our God, as we bring them to Him, uh, regardless of how vile it might be, regardless of how awful it might look even to us and those around us, God looks at us and He can see Christ. And there is a sense of goodness there that is very strange to us, that God can look at us who are vile and sinful and love us the way He loves His Son. So, we are encouraged by the peace and joy that this brings. If you would stand as I read these assurance of pardons from John chapter 14 and 1 Peter, do you hear these words for us, the church? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world, the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, let, nor let them be afraid. But you are a cho- chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And indeed, we have received mercy. And there is much to rejoice in and to praise our God and King this morning. Let's do continue to worship this morning. Suffered in my place, 
the strength to follow your commands would never come from me oh father use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast is Please be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you that even though you are the creator of all things and you uphold the universe by the power of your word, you have lovingly given us your written word and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We understand that we do not live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Truth is a subject loosely held by our culture, but we know that you've given us your scripture. That it is not only sufficient for life, but it is inspired without error in our final authority as Christians. Help us depend on your word to dwell on it. To the world, Lord, your word is folly, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God and salvation to those who hold fast to it. I pray that we can eagerly submit to its authority that it would govern every aspect of our lives. We know that if our mind is set on the flesh, on the world, it is hostile to you, for it cannot submit to your law, nor can we please you in such a state. Let us live lives in clear submission to your word. Train us up in your righteousness. Father, I want to lift up Pastor Perry Tinklenberg and New Hope Christian Reformed Church here in Spokane this morning. Lord, I pray that the preaching of the word would impact the, the hearts of their congregation and that they would joyfully receive the message <clears throat> being preached. Lord, I also want to lift up Connection Point and Pastor Barry Smith as they settle into their new location, Lord, in, in North Spokane. Help them to seek you first this morning. And hold fast to your word as it has the power for eternal life. Lord, for our own church, I ask that a mighty work be done today in all three campuses. Let your name be praised. Change hearts to be in tune with your will. And may your truths train us in righteousness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to...
you here worshiping with you this morning. And we are in the book of Mark as we continue along in our sermon series through Mark. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Mark chapter 4 as we uh, continue on and study uh, the gospel as it is seen in Mark. And in Mark, one of the things that we've been seeing as we continue to study, that Mark is a short book, uh, relatively, and it is a very quick-moving book, and it's very unique in its focus of what the gospel of Mark is pointing us to about the work and life of Jesus and the development of these disciples, what Jesus was doing here as He brought in the kingdom. And two questions that we have looked at begin to be answered through the book of Mark as we continue on, as Jesus is teaching us and He's doing different things. Mark is highlighting certain things very specifically for us. And one of the things that He wants us to understand, He starts to bring up in different ways, and that is, who do you perceive Jesus to be? And the other one would be, who do you perceive yourself to be? You can imagine how these things are supposed to relate to each other, rightly in discipleship and rightly within the kingdom of God. And so we start to understand a little bit about who Jesus is and a little bit about who we are meant to be. And there's not a whole lot of actual teaching in the book of Mark comparatively to the other Gospels. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, we're in one of the largest teaching sections throughout the Gospel itself. And so there's something that Jesus is saying here that, the, that Mark thought was important enough for us to hear from Jesus directly. There was something he's highlighting here that he wants us to hear, and that starts to frame and form our picture of who Jesus is, who his disciples are, what the kingdom will look like, and how it's being populated with people these disciples, these stones, as it were, that are building the kingdom of God. And throughout the gospel, one of the things that we start to see is that not every single person who is an image bearer of God is a member of this kingdom. And he starts to identify something very clearly, that there are those who have spiritual blindness, there are those who have spiritual deafness, In some ways, they can't perceive the things of God. They can't receive them. It is as if you wave your hand in front of them spiritually, and there's nothing there. And then there's others who, though it may be small, they can see. They can see something. They can hear something. They can perceive it in a certain way. And this is one of the things that these parables begin to do. They begin to identify what's going on here in someone's soul. Can you hear? Those who have ears, let him hear. And there's something that he wants us to see here, the way that disciples respond to the king. Can you hear these things? And Pastor Jeff taught last week about this illustration of soil that starts to depict this in a way that's very unique. All of a sudden, you have this soil that shows good, hospitable ground to the Word of God, to God's message into humanity. And sometimes it doesn't grow, and sometimes it does very richly, very fully. 
And so here he continues on with a further parable to his disciples. He pulled back and explained that parable, and he continues to teach them a little bit more about what he wants them to know about the kingdom of God, what he wants them to know about growth in the kingdom of God, right responses to the kingdom of God. And so as he continues to develop this idea of how is the kingdom being formed and how are disciples being identified and shaped and built, it's very different than people expected. In fact, there is a trajectory in Mark in which people's expectations of Jesus, people's expectations of the kingdom of God, people's expectations of disciples, there is a growing chasm between what people wanted and expected and what Jesus was actually doing. So it's very important that we as His disciples listen at this point to say, who are disciples rightly? What makes up the members of the the citizens, so to speak, of the kingdom of God? And He's starting to give us something here that not all can hear, not all want to hear, not all like to hear, but it is something we need to hear. Uh, If you'd stand with me, let's turn to Mark chapter 4 for the reading of God's Word this morning, if you're willing and able. And we will begin in verse 21 and continue on in our study here. This is God's Word. It says, And He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Let's do pray as we study God's Word this morning. Father God, we are so thankful for Your Word. And at times, Lord, we think we understand because we've followed you for a number of years, because we have expectations of who you are. We understand exactly who you are, what you're about, who we're to be. And yet, Lord, we forget we are so dependent upon your word to shape and form us. Lord, we pray even this morning, would you give us receptive hearts to be shaped by your word? Would you help us to see the things we need to see, to be formed the way we need to be formed, that we might see what truly makes the kingdom of God so that we are declaring rightly the things that you are doing in this world. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a rather strange section of Scripture. When you get into parables... There is something that is a little bit frustrating about them. And the, the Pharisees would often say, Jesus, why don't you just tell us what you mean to say? Why don't you just say it straight? And there's something within these parables that starts to sound kind of good, but also kind of confusing, and it brings up at least 50 more questions in our mind. And as Jesus is talking, one of the things he says is, for those in the kingdom of God you will have more than what you need. 
you will have more than what you need. Upon what you already have, I am going to add to that, and it will be an abundance. And we recognize in our world, this is rather strange news because we live in a world of shortages where we don't have what we need, and our expectation in everything is to fight and scrape, order things early so that you get in line, so you get what you need. You need to make sure you secure what is yours. And so we look at things spiritually, and we, we often find ourselves thinking, Lord, I don't have enough. I don't have what I need to do the things you've called me to do. I don't have the clarity I need. I just need a little more from you so that I might live my life rightly, that I might direct my family rightly, so that I might do what I need. I want just a little bit more. And this is birthed out of our flesh, our sin nature, to say, I need to make sure that I secure things for me. And yet, one of the basic principles this starts to teach us about our spirituality is those who are of the kingdom of God will be given more than what they need. And we start to see this developed in a couple different ways here. And we start to see that God has given us a superabundance of blessing in a way that is far different than we expect. And we actually have to learn how to see it, to start looking for it in a way that is not necessarily with your eyes, but spiritually, to recognize it, to hear it, is the other language he uses, and actually to value it rightly, to weigh it rightly, to cherish it in your heart rightly, the things that God has said. So there is a way in which our senses spiritually have been very broken by sin, and we're learning to use them once again. And Jesus is showing us here in this parable what are the ways in which the people of God start to respond to Him through your senses spiritually. So God does give us more than what we deemed, and we need to learn how to see them, hear them, value them. So firstly, we must learn to look for light. We must learn to look for light in a spiritual sense. Let's look at verse 21 to 22 again in Mark chapter 4. It says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And there is this language that you hear that is kind of a, well, duh. As Jesus comes in and there is not as much clarity as people are hoping, Jesus is acknowledging you want the secret of the kingdom of God, which he just talked about in the previous parable. You want to see the things that God wants to reveal. You are right to say, I want to see it. You are right to desire to see the things of the kingdom of God. That is a good thing, and it doesn't make sense to hide it. And there is at least one thing we start to see, that there is a senselessness of sin. We turned away from all of the things of God, and Jesus is saying, it is all hidden. You can't see it fully as you should, as 
Adam and Eve once did as they walked with me in fellowship. And there is something in which it's not going to be hidden forever, but it will be revealed. And God is often referenced in this language, talking about the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Who is God for the people? You are a light to me. Uh, the, uh, David, one of the psalmists in 2 Samuel chapter 22, one of the ways he speaks of God is that in the midst of very broken situations, God gives him light, thinking of his uh, relationship with Saul. Saul is pursuing him, and there is, in a sense, no hope. Saul wants to kill him. He wants to have him dead. And you imagine this, the fear and the trepidation that your soul would have at this moment of being hated that vehemently. And David comes before God and he says, For you are my lamp, O Lord. My God lightens my darkness. The people of God regularly looked to God as light. They looked to Him as this place in which light would be brought into a very dark and broken world. This is the place that they were taught to look. In Psalm 132, verse 17, in a prophetic voice, uh, the psalmist says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed in a sense that this lamp is coming into the world. This lamp is going to bring light where it was dark. And this is something that the people of God were regularly taught, to look to the light, to look to those things which reveal, to long for those things. Within the camp of Israel, in the temple, there was this lampstand. It was meant to proclaim that this is where God resides this is where truth is found. This is where light is found. And it was to be kept lit all night long. In Deuteronomy, it speaks of this. It says, You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set, upon, set up to burn in the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to mourning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. You hear the importance of this. That God is teaching His people something very important. This will be lit. Anytime there's darkness, this will be maintained and lit. And this is a statute for all your generations. This doesn't go away. The importance of God being a light for His people does not disappear. And the light certainly shows God's presence, but there's something very important about God being in the midst of His people in our world. That oftentimes we just think, I just need to see God, then I'll be good. And we say He's up there, and if I just see that He's there, I'm good. And yet one of the things that God brings into this world is not just an abstract idea of light and presence. It actually gives us the ability to do everything else in this world. It gives us the ability to live, as David was talking about. C.S. Lewis illustrated it this way as he thought about Christianity. I read a biography of him uh, just recently um, in which uh, just talked about his own process of coming to faith, and he was very skeptical of Christianity. And one of the ways that he became convinced of this was just 
uh, through dear friends, but as he reflected on some of the things that really spoke to him about the Christian faith and who God was for him in a practical sense, he says this, says, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun that has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything. By the sun I see everything. And there was something that he understood about who God is for his people. That there is a spiritual blindness, and yet in the presence of God, you can actually walk. You can live in this body that God's given you in a way that is not harmful to the world around you. That actually is right and good, adds peace to the world, joy, kindness, goodness, things to be desired. The way that God has created us to live is possible in relationship to Him. And this directs us to the point where we see in the parables, back in Mark chapter 4, um, one of the things that he says is he speaks in parables, um, and it's kind of odd to us at times, but he's starting to do this work to say, there is an importance that you see, and these parables are not necessarily creating sight, but they are identifying it a little bit. Mark chapter 4, verse 12, he says, um, I'm speaking in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive. He said, if I revealed myself fully to them, uh, they, would, they would perceive. But he's saying, I'm speaking in parables in some senses, that they might not see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And you're seeing two things that are very interesting about people who have sight, that they see and they hear, but there's a different response that those who have sight and hearing can do. They perceive, they understand something that not everyone can do. But even those who have no senses spiritually would be able to recognize God. And yet God is saying, I am forming the kingdom of God from people who can see and perceive. These are my people. These are my sheep. And so something is happening here in which he's starting to identify sight through his parables and through his teaching that we're trying to get after, the importance of sight and to those who have sight, it reveals certain things about us. So you have sight, you can see, and all of a sudden the light of God, one of the things we did this morning was confession of sin. You hear God's Word and it reveals certain attitudes of your heart, and all of a sudden you're left with something you have to do. Where you were once blind and saying, this doesn't matter at all, all of a sudden you have to look at it and say, that's there. What do I do with this thing I just dug out of my heart? Because it's ugly, and I can see the ugliness of it. So sight gives us this ability to say, I don't want this anymore either. I do want what God's given me, but light brings all these things into our world, into our hearts. So as believers, you have light if you can see. And now there's a responsibility to say, what has it revealed? And sometimes you flip on the light in the <laughs> back messy bedroom. And you're like, oh man, let's flip that back off. I don't want to see it anymore. And that is certainly the temptation in our flesh to say, I don't want to see the things that the sight is giving me. 
I don't want to look at it. And those who don't have sight will be, as we look out and we see the world, oftentimes we're kind of baffled that people could live on in their unrepentant sin. And yet Jesus is teaching us if they don't have sight, they won't see it as that. They have no ability to understand that what they're doing is wrong. It's in the darkness to them. And it really does seem like you're speaking to deaf, blind people at times. You're like, why in the world can't you turn? Why in the world would you continue on this way? And Jesus is even helping us here saying, remember, you too were once blind. You too were once deaf. You too once did not even recognize the messiness of your own heart. And God is certainly doing some incredible work, but we start to see a little bit here what our role is as disciples. We see our own hearts, we see the world around us, and we start to see even how people are responding to the light. And we have right expectations to say, it does not surprise me, though I long for those people to see and repent and turn, to see what's going on. I can see it, why can't they see it? And yet you wave your hand in front of their eyes and it's as if there's nothing there. This is what the light starts to bring. It starts to identify the disciples. It starts to identify those who would be in the kingdom of God. And there is hope, as you see, start to see. You start to say there is a way forward. As Jesus says, everything will come to light. There's some prophetic language here as he moves into this. It is under a bushel, a basket. It is hidden, and it is senseless that it would be so, but he says nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Kind of a strange way to phrase things, but as you think of the coming of the kingdom of God, it is currently hidden, but it will be brought to light. It will be brought to light. And we even think of why does he do it this way? All these things are only for God to know, but there is a sense in which we hear in Scripture, God's glory is something that we could not rightly handle. Moses says, he says, I want to see you, Lord. I want to see your glory. God says, you can't. <laughs> I'm going to stick you deep in this rock, and you will just know that I've passed. We say, I want to see Jesus in His full glory, and Jesus is like, no, there is a working out in your heart. Sin would be dealt with fully. You cannot be in my presence. And so there is a sense in which God understands even this redemptive process far better than we do. When we say, I want to see Him, we would be much more like the people of Israel standing at the base of Mount Sinai saying, Moses, you go up. We don't want to be anywhere near it. And yet God, in the right time and in the right way, will reveal these things. And we start to see this is the way the kingdom of God is coming. And this starts to give us a little bit of peace in our own souls of this is the way we should expect it to be rolled out. When I feel like I don't see the things I need to see to trust my God, He's revealing it the way He needs to. And I do have a little bit of a promise here that says it will be revealed. It's coming. Firstly, we do need to learn to see again, but we must also learn to listen. 
to Jesus, to listen for the words that Jesus says. Let's go back and read again in verse 23. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is something he has repeated in this teaching segment in which he is saying, if you have ears to hear, listen. It's almost like he is speaking to spiritual children. We know what it's like to speak to children who don't want to listen or choose not to listen. It's almost like they can turn it on and off. And Jesus is almost saying the same thing to us. If you have ears, use them. If you hear something... Don't forget to listen to that thing that is speaking to you. We can't forget we're talking about spiritually. If the Lord is working on your heart and you are feeling that and you are recognizing God's Word upon you, oftentimes we have to remind ourselves, where do I listen? Do I listen to the world around me or do I listen to God? Do I listen to what makes sense rationally or do I listen to the words that God says that don't necessarily make sense rationally. Much more tempting to try and make sense of everything God says to us, to say, does it make sense? And this is a learning process. First Samuel chapter 3, we start to get a picture of this learning process of how to recognize God's voice. First Samuel chapter 3 is talking about this time in which uh, Samuel is coming into his role as a prophet, and Eli was the one who was kind of teaching him this. And this is a familiar passage to many of us, and Samuel is hearing this voice in the night. He says, Samuel, Samuel, and he runs to Eli, and Eli says, didn't call you, goes back to bed. Samuel, Samuel, didn't call you, goes back to bed. And then there's something that Samuel realizes and Eli realizes as well. Samuel chapter 3, uh, in the section verses 1 through 11, it says, And he rose and went to Eli. This is for the third time. And he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went to lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord speaks to him. And there is, at times, something true here for us spiritually. Oftentimes, we wish it was just as audible directly to me, and yet we still have to learn to hear God's voice we still have to learn to hear the words that he says in a similar way and be directed to it to say, what is that I hear? Is this God's word? And maybe even teach others. This is God's word. There it is. If you are hearing that voice that's saying this is God's word, you can trust it. And there are those who can hear it, and there are those who can't. And we start to get this picture that certain people can hear it, and certain people can't. In John chapter 10, verses 24 through 27, 
uh, Jesus is speaking to the Jews as He often did, and they wanted to hear, and yet they couldn't hear. And they said to Him these words, the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And this is a reflection of something that Jesus said earlier in Mark here in this parable. They indeed do hear, but don't perceive. There are those who don't perceive, and there are those who start to hear. And there is something we have to learn how to do here to recognize that's my shepherd. That's his voice. That's something I can trust. And this is something about Scripture that many who have written confessional documents have recognized. How do we know this is the Word of God? The Spirit starts to confirm it within our hearts, it says. It starts to become true to us. We believe it, even though it doesn't make sense to the world around us, we read this and it has the ring of truth, so to speak. And someone else can read the very same words and say, it sounds like absolute nonsense. It's a beautifully written book, but why would you do that? Why would you believe that? Why would you believe in a God like that? He sounds awful. He sounds vindictive. He sounds terrible. And yet believers are able to look at it and say, are we reading the same document? Because <laughs> we hear... God's words. We say, that's my shepherd. And this becomes particularly true when we are faced with something unbelievable. We are faced with something in which we have to trust something. And it becomes difficult to hear God's word. It becomes difficult to listen. And you'll remember back in the garden, Adam and Eve were faced with the difficulty of, do I trust God's Word or do I trust someone else? Do I perceive God's Word as God's Word, as true, as something that's trustworthy, or do I listen somewhere else? Even for those who hear, we have to learn how to sort this out. Adam and Eve had heard God's Word to say, this is what you shall do in the garden. These are your roles. This is who you are. And the snake enters in, and he says, does God really say, did he really say you can't eat from that tree or that you would surely die? Did God really say that? And now they have to decide, do I listen to God or do I listen to this snake? One sounds a little more rational. One sounds a little more thoughtful that I would have more ability to do things. God's called me to do a lot of things, and if I knew what was right and wrong, that would really help because I need to know what's right and wrong because I am in charge of this whole thing. So, yeah, why didn't God give me that? Good point. This is the way things probably usually roll around in our heads. And there is a trust of God's Word to say, God said this. I will trust Him. God said this. I will trust Him. One of my seminary professors said this narrative should have read, enters the snake, splat, dead snake. And yet, it didn't. Oftentimes, we do listen to other voices. We do listen to other things. God is trying to teach us 
to trust Him. We often find ourselves in the very same situation of learning how to listen to God, learning how to trust God, learning how to help others to listen to God and trust God. God says things at times very, very clearly, not maybe as much as we want, but very clearly. He will teach us in Scriptures to discipline, to teach, to train our children a specific way. And other narratives around us will say, no, let them decide. Let them figure it out. And yet, Scripture says, you are to train your children, to teach them to love God's Word, to teach them how to listen to me. There is a discipline about this that we are told to do in Scripture, to train, to teach, and yet we are faced with these different narratives. Did God really say? Then we are also taught very clearly we're to stand for the sanctity of life as believers. God's image bearers have supreme value, and it is not that animals or creation has higher value. It is very clear in Scripture that mankind is special to God, is unique to God. We are not to murder. It is very important for us. And as we hear this in our culture, even with some of the recent trials, we hear the relationship between God and the world at times very stark. Is that really that important, to value life before it is born, to give that unborn life value? We have to decide, do I listen to maybe the reason and the rationality of, but what about all these situations? Or do I trust my God and say, this is the way God has said it. I don't necessarily have to understand the fullness of it, but I can trust it to say, Life is valuable. And that is a hard thing for those who don't have sight, those who don't have hearing to understand because it doesn't make sense. And those are things we believe, we trust, we hear. Did God really say? We're not to enter into sex outside of marriage. We live in a very sexualized culture. We're not to even... I mean, the idea of murder that we just brought up, but we're not to do these things, sex and, and lust and murder. Those things aren't even to have a place in our own hearts. That's how serious God is about it, and we have to trust. If there is malice in my heart or lust residing within my heart, am I willing to listen to God and say, do I let this thing dwell there and sit there? Or do I trust my God and say, why is that there? Confess it. Get it out of your heart. That does not belong in the heart of a believer. And there are good things. When God says, you work very hard all week long, now you are to rest. Culture says, work, 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 keep working, get more, get ahead. And God says, yes, work hard, but work in a balanced way and rest and worship me. Enjoy the good things that God has given to you comes both in moral prohibitions and sometimes moral commands are just commands that say, live life to the, to the fullest that God has created it. Enjoy the things God has given to you. We have to learn to listen to God. What did He say? Not to say more than He said, to be more restrictive than what God has said or more commanding than what He has said, and not certainly not less but to learn to listen to Him and say, I hear you. I'm following you. 
Pick up your cross, follow me. Die to your old self and now live your life in and under my rule. That is a good thing. And that requires us to listen regularly, often, continually. It is very easy for us to be like Peter, to hear the first instructions, the Apostle, Apostle Peter, the disciple, and then to take a step in front of him and say, I heard what you said, Jesus. Now I know where we're going next. I know where you're heading. And yet Jesus says, no, you get behind me. You don't belong in front of me. I am king. And that is the way that we learn to listen to God, to say, anything you want, Lord. And this is difficult and hard for us, and it's something that we certainly have to learn how to do, and it requires that God has actually created the ability for us to do it. And we grow in it, and we start to hear God's voice, and He says, my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me. They know my voice. It's almost as if, for those of us who are parents in the room, when your kid cries in the other room, you can pick it out of a whole group of kids crying. You're like, ah, mine's there too. And there is a way in which we learn to do that with God as well. The disciples then are learning how to do this. They're recognizing this. But God is forming His disciples, those who would be in the kingdom of God, by sight, by hearing in a spiritual sense. And lastly, we must also learn to give weight to God's words, to give weight to His words. Let's look at verses 24 to 25. And He says, And He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Pay attention to what you hear. You have ears, use them. Now pay attention to what you hear. We ask, okay, I'm trying to pay attention, almost as if the Pharisees were speaking again. Why don't you just speak plainly and then I might pay attention, becomes our snarky remark to God oftentimes, and yet He's saying, pay attention to what you hear. And we have to learn how to do this. And He goes on to say something that starts to help us a little bit. He says, with the measure you use, surely it will be measured to you. The measure you use, surely it will be measured to you. Speaking in the context of our spirituality, of our growth in discipleship, of our ability to hear God's words in our heart, our ability to set them into our souls, with the way in which you measure Jesus' words, it will be measured out to you. The idea of measuring rightly is something that was true of the people of Israel always. They were to measure things rightly. They were to engage in commerce rightly. They would have understood some of this language for those who were around. In Deuteronomy, again, chapter 25, this is part of the law. He says, you shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small, a full and a fair weight you shall have, a full and a fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God that He has given to you. 
And there is a sense in which we start to learn how to value God's words rightly. If you were to say, how am I supposed to receive God's words? How do I weigh them rightly? Do I just weigh it against someone else's opinion and say, which one sounds better to me? Or do I use full and fair measure with God? In 2 Peter, Peter had to argue this way with the people in the church. When they start to come up with other opinions and philosophies and theories about how the church should run, oftentimes this emerges when we start to think that we know better and we start to figure it out. And Peter says this, for we did not follow clearly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And he goes on to say, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in dark, a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I hope you hear what he's saying. This is not our opinion. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has accomplished is not something that we just say, this is what I think is best for the world. It's not something that is dropped in as a good option amongst many. He's saying this is from God. These are God's words. When we repeat these things, the things that we declare as a church, the things that we hold to, this is why we study God's words exegetically. That is, to go in and say, what is really there? I want to know what God's words are because I want to value them rightly. You shouldn't want to hear opinions from me or Jeff. You shouldn't want to hear these things as things that I believe are helpful for the world. But we have to be very careful to say, these are God's words that I hold to. These are God's words that we proclaim. Because these are not just mere words. They are from God Himself. In the book of Amos, God Himself would say, my words and my judgments, the things that you need to listen to, need to be measured rightly in your own hearts. And Amos, speaking of the judgment that would come and his universal justice upon the nations is what Amos starts to do. But to the people of Israel, he says this in chapter 4, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. You start to see we serve a God who created all things, who knows all things, who accomplishes all things. And at times we forget that and we think, Let's just pick which one makes most sense. And at times we are reminded we serve God, King of all the universe. And when He speaks and He says, 
I have mercy for you. I've forgiven your sin. And you say, I can't be forgiven. You in that moment are saying no to the king of all the universe. When you're looking at your Savior and He's saying, I want to give you peace, I want to give you rest, and you say, I don't want it. I want to do things. King of all the universe has spoken. He says, I will do it declares the Lord. I will accomplish your salvation. I will accomplish the gospel. It is yours to keep, to hold, to proclaim, to declare. But you trust me and you value it rightly in your heart. And oftentimes we don't believe. God is very gracious with us when we don't want to listen or value His words rightly. He continues to enter in to those who are His disciples, who are His sheep. He doesn't leave you or forsake you. He continues to move towards you. And oftentimes we say, I'm going to hold out to the last minute to make sure it's really you, God. And you remember Thomas, one of the disciples. John chapter 20 talks about Thomas who would hear God's Word or the Word that God was risen. And he says, I don't believe it. He hears the testimony. He says, until I can touch it, I'm not going to believe it. John chapter 20. Then he said, speaking, Jesus is speaking here. Then he said, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. There is indeed a richness for us when we want to see more before ordering our lives around God's words, before changing the way we operate in our lives, before trusting God's words and giving them the value that they deserve in our lives. Oftentimes we want to say, I want to make sure that this is really God's word before I use it, before I set it there in the center of the room of my heart. And yet God continues to pursue us. He comes all the way to Thomas and He says, here I am, touch it. You can engage it with all of your senses. You can see it, you can touch it, you can believe it, you can hear it, anything that you need. This is what God did in the Incarnation. There is more than enough that God has done for us, and yet He enters in, comes close, draws nearer. And we start to learn how to value things rightly in our hearts. And we know how to value things rightly, kind of intuitively, how to listen to God's words and put them in the right spot. Because you think about this and uh, things that really are valuable in our culture, in our lives. If a family member or a child gets sick, what happens? If you can have a crazy busy schedule, absolutely bursting at the seams, and if one of your kids gets really, really sick, you can say, my kid is in the hospital. I need to go. 
The entire world is reoriented around that level of importance. Doesn't matter what you had going on, doesn't matter what was in your life. There is a reordering and a reshuffling to say these things are at the center. That is weighted pretty heavily for people. When God says, I am your God, you shall be my people, you shall cherish me, you shall see me as good, you shall trust me as good, you shall trust me as the one who's able to accomplish these things, the one who's able to deal with everything in this world on your behalf, are you willing to believe without seeing that God is good? God does indeed pursue us this way. He does come after us. And we do need to listen to God's Word, to trust it. We want to reorder our lives around it. And oftentimes, one of the ways that we tend to do this is we tend to just think, well, I'm going to read God's Word continually, more often, listen to it on audiobook, to memorize it, to go back again and again and again and fill with quantity as much as possible. And it's not that those things are inherently bad, but they may not necessarily be accomplishing this weight that Jesus is talking about. Because you can hear God's Word and not hear, not perceive it. You can see what God has done and not believe it. Do not understand it. There is something that Jesus is pushing us even further to say, I don't just want you near me. I want you to weigh these things rightly in your soul. So even though we may be reading the Bible, be around church, doing these things with absolute good intentions, oftentimes we can still find ourselves far from God, struggling spiritually, wondering where is He? I'm reading my Bible, but He is not near. And this probably has an area of application for us here to recognize, have I weighted Jesus rightly in my heart and in my life? Not just listening to God's Word, but taking them seriously, making sure that they have place within our thoughts and our lives and everything that we do. We start to think about when God and everything that He is about starts to take priority in our lives, and we regularly come to Scripture and we say, I want to be humble, come under His Word, let it reorder my life. We start to see that there would be far greater exponential growth in our life when we start to seek to understand God's Word, not just hear it, but understand it, set it within our heart. Oftentimes we think, I don't want to be head knowledge driven. And yet at times that will mean I just don't want to understand what God's trying to say in the first place. And yet when we do the work to try to understand what Jesus is saying, things that aren't initially clear to say, I want to understand what it means that Jesus died on the cross for me. Not what do I think it means, but I want to understand what did that actually pay for? What did that actually accomplish? Was my problem in sin that I just felt guilty and the world around me didn't like me anymore? 
Or was it that I had sinned against my God and Creator? I had broken relation, covenant relationship with my God. You start to understand, if you understand that I have been forgiven by God for an offense against God, I had broken His good creation, the gospel starts to take a little different importance in your heart and life. And you start to say, God is king over all the world. And there is an exponential growth in your spiritual life as you learn to trust God's Word as true and good and right. This starts to really start to shape our lives as the church and members of the church. We hear this phrase that is really quite astounding. As you start to grow in understanding of who God is and you weight God's words rightly and God's teachings rightly and the order of relationship in which you should be coming under your king, if you weight those rightly, what does it say? More will be added to you. When you felt like, I don't have enough, as I begin to reorder my life under God, when it was fearful, like, if I give up this other stuff, what's my life going to look like? I could lose everything. You bring your life under the rule of God, and God says, more will be added to you. There is something about this parable starts to identify those who are disciples and those who are not. And we like to think, well, couldn't we just, you know, give to people what they deserve a little bit and kind of get it ordered rightly? And I don't like that language of they might not get anything, but Yet there is something true about what God has accomplished on our behalf. You are either in Christ or you are not. And Zechariah chapter 5, verse 6, starts to talk about this idea of a lampstand. And you remember the way that the people of God had to operate is that these priests were responsible to keep this lit lit all night long. So they'd be filling up the oil. There was a lot of work associated with this, declaring the presence of God. And in Zechariah, it all of a sudden gives us this different picture with the coming of Jesus and accomplishing these things. That there was a reservoir and these lampstands that would go dry. But in Zechariah, it gives us this other picture of a lampstand that all these lampstands are around this kind of central bowl with all this oil in it. And here are these words of what Zechariah sees in chapter 4. Oh, uh, and he, I don't have it written down here, but um, one of the things he starts to see is this picture of uh, seven different lampstands around this bowl, and they're all feeding from this oil. And the thing that's actually kind of fascinating is nearby that there's these two trees, these olive trees, and they are feeding the bowl itself. And so you get this picture all of a sudden that the gospel is continually feeding this thing. To those who have, more will be given. So you say, I have been given a little bit of sight, a little bit of hearing. And you all of a sudden recognize within the gospel, I have permanent access to this. It is an overabundance of God's grace and God's goodness. I have to learn to see this, to hear it. And we start to hear the language of, I am the vine, you are the branches, you are connected to me. For those who are God's disciples, there is a sense in which 
as you start to hear, there is a picture of I am now connected to something that will give me more and more. And there is a trust that will turn me towards God to be able to trust Him and say, this is a good place to be. This is a right place to be. And for those who haven't turned to trust in Jesus, there's no access to that. And even the seeds that were scattered near them, they have no ability to see them, to hear them, to grab them. But for those who are in the kingdom of God, the thing we should hear is not that God is evil and wrong, but for those who are in His kingdom, there is a richness and a goodness and a fullness available to them. This is indeed something that should stir our hearts to trust God. Say, I hear a God that is good, that has things for me. Indeed, good news for us as we worship Him today. Let's do pray. Father God, we do come before You just recognizing the richness of what You have given us, the ability to see rightly, the ability to hear, the ability to grow in faith. And Lord, oftentimes our faith is weak, it is feeble. We find ourselves fearful. And yet, we recognize that You are our God and we are Your people. We can learn to trust You. We can learn to hear Your voice. We can learn to respond to it rightly. Lord, help us in this as Your church. Even when things feel chaotic, hard to understand, hard to know what to do, Lord, we can trust You with this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we do have the joy and the privilege of gathering and sharing and worship the Lord's Supper. It is indeed uh, something that is very sweet for those of us who believe in Jesus and all that it proclaims. There is a richness to this meal for us, and this is one of the things we recognize at GCF. We gather every week and we share communion with one another because of all that it means for us. The body of Christ broken for us, His blood shed for us, things that we can hope in and trust in. And even as we confess our sins, we can stand rightly before God recognizing these things are for me. And He gives us tangible things to touch, to taste, to see, and say, just as true as these things are before your face, so true is the gospel for you. So true is Christ's work for you. So as you learn to trust in these things, these shape and form your hearts to trust in God, to say He has accomplished these things. And so if this is not your profession, that Jesus is my Lord, I trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins, we'd ask that you would not come forward, that you would not share in this meal, but that you would listen and watch and ask questions. And as the Lord works in your heart, there is plenty here for all who believe in Jesus and that is good news for us in the church to say that I get to invite as many people as I can to share in the goodness of everything that God has given to me, and it will never run out. So as we gather, we're reminded this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as the Apostle Paul reminds us of what this meal means. 
He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Certainly something that is rich and um, something that holds deep significance for us as we are able to gather and celebrate all that Jesus has done. So as you come forward, I will have the side aisles come first to each of these tables, and the center aisle can come forward and use either table as you come forward. Uh, Let's do pray as we gather and share this meal with one another. Father, we are so thankful as we gather for worship There are blessing upon blessing that we celebrate that you've given us. And this meal represents that rich blessing in which we are satisfied in you. Lord, we praise you. We worship you for all that you have given to us, your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do come.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below, praise Him above the praise Father, Son, and Amen. All right, before the benediction, just a couple quick announcements. Four, to be precise. Three of them have note cards. So um, our note card game is strong these days. But they're out back for more detail for each of these. First one, newcomer's lunch, May 15th. That is uh, right after the service, right across the foyer. If you're new here, we would love to have you there. Uh, it's a great time to ask questions of people who have been attending here for a while but it's also a great way for us to get to know you. So if you won't do it for yourself, do it for us. Let us get to know you. Uh, next one, nursery team meeting. This strikes me as fairly important. Anyone who serves in the nursery, please be there. May 22nd, again, right after service, lunch and childcare provided. Third one, there's a Path of Life conference. The Path of Life is a great organization that we like to support here in town. Um, it, it's hard to describe all the areas that they touch in in their ministry, but I, I think it's just it's, it's applying truth to all the different areas of the sexual revolution that we see going on around us. So usually their speakers and their events are very helpful. Uh, so I would commend that event to you, May 20th and May 21st. This is happening at Fourth Memorial. There's a flyer for it. And then Men's Fellowship Night. We usually get together, we fellowship, sing a song or two maybe, and then watch a helpful video or movie, documentary usually. Um, this one is called American Gospel, and it kind of addresses the inaccurate, the, the, the gospel that is being exported from the United States that is not the true gospel. 
a lot of times. Um, but there are reasons for hope. There are godly men fighting this battle, doing the right thing. You should come watch it. It's a great movie. Um, flyer for that one. So now with that all said, um, I'm just thinking back on some of the points that Paul made, talking about our, our goal of, of seeking and, and remembering and, and being exposed to the one truth from the one true God um, and reorient, reorienting our lives toward holiness. And so with that, please receive this benediction. It's from the very end of Romans. I've adapted it a little bit. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, according to the command of the one eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.